0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, July 25th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines Mountain Village selects developer for VCA expansion, Town Council discusses fire preparedness, Library looks to revamp second floor, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, Telluride lost a member of its community over the weekend. Michael Ray Davis was found unresponsive in his home in Telluride on Saturday evening. He was 62 years old. The cause and manner of death is under investigation. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Davis is survived by his mother, his siblings, Sue, Ron, and Rick, his children, Simon, Chelsea, and Molly, his four grandchildren, and his wife, Lori. Emergency personnel responded to two incidents over the weekend. The Telluride Fire Protection District monitored a fire near Deer Trail Basin on the east end of Telluride on Saturday night. The small fire was started by a lightning strike and occurred on U.S. Forest Service land. On Sunday, there was no growth and little smoke. Forest Service crews continue to monitor the situation. There was no threat to structure or public safety. On Sunday, San Miguel County Search and Rescue Sheriff deputies and Telluride Fire Protection District EMS responded to a 56-year-old female in Cornette Creek who reported a lower extremity injury. Responders helped the Houston woman down the trail. She was taken to the Telluride Regional Medical Center for further evaluation. An expansion of village court apartments in Mountain Village is moving forward. Last week, Mountain Village Town Council approved the hire of Triumph Development West and Shaw Construction. Earlier this year, Mountain Village issued a request for proposals for the development. We had one um, bid. We were very, very comfortable with the, um, the Triumph um, and confident in their abilities to do this work. That's Michelle Haynes, Planning and Development Services Director for Mountain Village. Um,
1: In their proposal, they showed a of larger apartment style with five bedrooms so there'd be more bedrooms but fewer units. There's some economies of scale, a different type of a floor plan, and Michael and Mike already started talking about some other ideas they had to value
0: engineer this project." Haynes recommends breaking the contract into two pieces, the first to rework some design and get a better understanding of cost, the second fully moving forward with the project. Michael O'Connor with Triumph Development says the bifurcation makes sense.
2: You now, rather than going to bid with stuff that we know that there are improvements to be made, and you know, committing to a price, let's let's step into this together. Um, let's go through uh, an initial phase one and uh, really you know, take your programming goals and and at the same time your budget goals and, and find a way to get closer to what your budget allows and uh, and step into that with a Pre-construction phase one, and then uh, once we've, you know, nailed down a lot of the details of that, then sign a contract that would be the, you know, the committed amount that that, that the town is um, committing to, uh, to to build the project.
0: Mountain Village Town Council unanimously approved hiring Triumph Development as the firm to construct an expansion on Village Court Apartments. In addition to VCA, Triumph Development is also working with Mountain Village to construct over 30 units of affordable housing in the meadows. What would it look like to evacuate San Miguel County in the case of a wildfire? That was the topic of conversation at a fire evacuation tabletop exercise earlier this summer. The exercise included the Telluride Fire Protection District, San Miguel County Sheriff, Mountain Village Police Department, and Telluride Marshal's Office. Last week, Mountain Village Chief of Police Chris Brody provided Mountain Village Town Council with an update on how the discussion went. A a few
2: of the things that just comes up, especially, you know, and, and I know everybody hates to hear this, but Our plan is it depends.
0: Brody says in the exercise, they looked at a theoretical fire south of Mountain Village headed in an eastern direction.
2: One of the things that we came up with and and was so important for Mountain Village is that we did do a staggered evacuation. I mean, if we do a whole eye pause, everybody evacuate town immediately. That's where that, our worst-case scenario for everybody is. Everybody gets in the car, gets on the road, and then we sit and we we'll look at each other.
0: He says a large reason for the discussion is muscle memory.
2: You get in the room and you talk to all these people and you get to know everybody and you say, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. And if that changes just a little bit, then we still have that muscle memory and that decision and those parameters that we're going to function around.
0: Brody says the main goal is to get households prepared before evacuation becomes necessary.
2: The solution to this problem is not evacuation. I mean, it's mitigation, it's hardening the homes, it's just doing all the pre-work to get ready for this. And and I mean, I, and I've talked about it, somebody else just brought it up the other day. There's a video out there somewhere of a fire that's kind of rolling through the, the forest, and it gets to a pre a, a mitigated area, and it just lays down, and it just burns through the grasses, and it slows that fire. And yeah, I mean, there's ground fires and all that, but um, those, those are our best homes, I think.
0: But Mountain Village Town Council member Pete Dupre has concerns about local government's ability to respond to a potential fire.
2: I think we've seen in a number of situations where the communities were let down by their public officials and I don't want to be
1: in that camp.
0: For Councilmember Marty Prohaska, she believes focusing on that mitigation piece is where elected officials can do the most good. That is where we can do something now. We cannot exercise out every single possible scenario and have an exact point by point plan for every single potential catastrophe. And I understand that you still train, you still prepare, but you cannot possibly, you know, have a detailed plan for every single scenario that might exist because they're innumerable. Right. However, what we can do is continue to support the projects that we've started and kind of ramp those up, which include fire mitigation. We've just hired a new forester. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think we need to truly be supportive. supporting our community is in the mitigation realm and let the professionals do what they do in figuring out the evacuation plans. Mayor Leila Benitez adds preparing for a wildfire is a dynamic and uncertain task.
1: There's no shortage of what Paul and chief and others are doing to really look at scenarios. It's just there isn't a quick answer of, well, we can borrow a road, you know, from here to Silverton quickly. That's just not one of our options. So we're going to have to go along this this path to do these exercises. And I know it's frustrating, and no one wants to hear. By the way, we chose to live in the most beautiful place. It also happens to come with inherent dangers.
0: Mountain Village's wildland Fire Plan information is available at townofmountainvillage.com under the Community Resources tab. Individuals are also encouraged to sign up for code red emergency notifications at sanmiguelcountyco.gov. As the Wilkinson Public Library was getting back into full gear after a COVID-induced slowdown, director Sarah Landryu explains they saw some trends.
3: We're really noticing that people needed a place to be, a place to work, a place for quiet, but also a place to have conversations and, and do some work.
0: There have also been changes in how people use the library
3: materials. Not a lot of people have a player that can handle a disc with the hole in the middle. So we are finding less and less and less use of CDs, audiobooks, and DVDs for that matter as people move into the streaming.
0: One data point Lander, you points to is in the first half of 2019, people checked out 27,000 DVDs the same period this year that number was down to about 8000 it's like a 67% drop because of all those shifting uses the library is planning to redesign the second floor to better meet the new increased demand for space and decreased
3: demand for physical items so we're going to try to accommodate both of those things by creating some cozy nooks, more places for people to work, let in the natural light, and really take advantage of the great space that we have upstairs with the windows, and make it more accessible for the collection, easier to browse, easier to find things, and just make it, in general, a much more inviting, welcoming space for our patrons. Lander, you hopes the collections on the second floor will be more accessible,
0: But the aim is also for the space to be more accessible for people looking to work. What we're trying to
3: solve is we're trying to create more space for people to enjoy the library and be able to work, have quiet study, but also engage in video conferencing or meetings while they're at the library. One piece of equipment she says they're looking at is booths where people could make phone calls. We're actually working with a firm that was part of the Telluride Venture Accelerator that's based out of Grand Junction to demo one of those like phone boothy things. Still, there
0: isn't really a plan for what this revamped second floor will look like, but the staff she says
3: agrees it should be flexible. So putting things on wheels, including the shelving and the nooks and crannies, so so that it could accommodate individuals but also groups and possibly even programs if we were able to just like quickly move the furniture around and create these flexible spaces.
0: Thanks to underspending during the pandemic and saving money, Lander Yu says the library is able to set aside between $500,000 and $750,000 for the project. The library, she explains, plans to develop a more formal timeline and process later this summer and bring the community in. Do diverse perspectives facilitate scientific progress, is innovation helped or hindered by differing viewpoints? A panel of scientists will explore those questions at the Summer's Final Telluride Science Town Talk on Tuesday evening. The conversation will feature mathematician Karana Burke, chemist Antari Stalling, and Telluride Science co-founder Peter Solomon. Acclaimed journalists Judy Muller and George Lewis will moderate. The talk will explore how hot-button issues of inclusion, diversity, and opportunity affect the world of science, and how classrooms and labs can be accessible to all. The discussion will be outdoors at the Telluride Depot on Tuesday, July 26th at 6.30 p.m. The event is free and open to the public. How better to celebrate Colorado's birthday than a trip into its great outdoors? In honor of Colorado Day and the 146th birthday of the state, Colorado Parks and Wildlife is offering free entry into all Colorado state parks. CPW notes, with free entry into the parks, individuals and families can partake in water sports like boating, paddleboarding, and swimming. There's wildlife and wildflower viewing, hiking, horseback riding, climbing, and biking. The department notes costs associated with individual activities are not included in the free day. CPW also reminds individuals to recreate carefully and asks people to remember to leave no trace, be careful with fire, and always be bear aware. Free entry to Colorado State Parks will take place on Monday, August 1st, in honor of the state's 146th birthday. Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters has been arrested. Authorities say she violated her bond conditions while awaiting trial on election tampering charges. KOTO Scott Franz has more.
4: Peters was indicted in March, and a judge told her she could not contact anyone in her election office while the criminal case was ongoing. But according to the Grand Junction Sentinel, Peters sent an email to elections officials in Mesa County this week saying she was pursuing a recount after losing her race for Secretary of State. The Sentinel reports a judge issued an arrest warrant for Peters Thursday, alleging she violated her bond conditions. Peters turned herself in to police in Pitkin County. She was released from jail after posting a new bond. Peters faces 10 felony and misdemeanor counts stemming from her handling of voting system hard drives. She made unfounded claims of election fraud a central theme of her failed campaign for Secretary of State. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol.
0: The Bureau of Land Management recently started rounding up wild horses on land between Rangeley and Meeker in northwest Colorado. The ongoing roundup, or what the BLM calls a gather, was originally set for September, but BLM officials announced in June they were moving the event up two months. The BLM cited the poor conditions of the wild horses and the high numbers of horses roaming in the 190,000-acre Peonce East Douglas Herd Management Area. The federal agency is seeking to remove 1,050 horses from the area. But wild horse advocates say the horses are not in poor condition and that cattle are causing more problems on the range than the horses'. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Aspen Public Radio's Hallie Zander reports. Earlier this month, a
1: small group of scientists and wild horse advocates flew with the nonprofit EcoFlight over the rugged landscape southeast of Rangeley. EcoFlight brings policymakers, journalists, and advocates up in the air to view problems from a broader perspective. In this case, the passengers wanted to get a look at the wild horses before the BLM began using helicopters and horseback riders to drive and trap them. Delia Malone was on the flight, she's an ecologist and serves on the board of the Sierra Club's Colorado chapter. She's been evaluating habitats and endangered species on the western slope for decades.
3: And so I have something of a rather intimate knowledge of what's impacting the landscape and what's impacting the health of the land. And she feels wild horses are part of a Western identity. Wild horses exemplify the West. They are the spirit of the landscape, and BLM is set on destroying that spirit.
1: The BLM estimates nearly 1,400 horses now roam in the herd management area. But the agency determined in a 2021 environmental assessment that there should only be 135 to 235 horses in the area to maintain an ecological balance. That document gives them the authority to conduct this gather operation. But Malone disputes whether the BLM's limit of 235 horses in this herd management area is appropriate and questions the need to remove
3: wild horses from the land. In my opinion, as an ecologist, the impact that wild horses have on the landscape is minimal.
1: Eric Mulvar was on the EcoFlight plane with Malone. He's a wildlife biologist and the executive director of Western Watersheds project which works to protect western lands from what it calls quote the destructive effects of livestock grazing. After the flight over the management area, Mulvar said horses are not the problem there.
5: The livestock industry commonly scapegoats wild horses for rangeland degradation that's actually caused by cattle and sheep and it's not just the livestock industry it's the bureau of land management
1: chris maestas is a spokesperson for the blm's northwest colorado district he didn't speak to the claim about the blm scapegoating wild horses and maestas pointed out the blm has to balance the wild horse population in the herd management area with other uses including oil and gas
3: wells you have resource development you have recreation you have other wildlife animals Um, And so you have all these decisions that the BLM has to take into account and come up with the best decisions for the land.
1: But Mulvar, with the Western Watershed's project, says cattle are harder on the environment than wild horses.
5: The cattle, in particular, concentrate uh, along the lush bottomlands and near water. They, they have a disproportionate impact, a disproportionate forage removal, right along the streams, right along the valley bottoms.
1: Mulvar says horses are similar to elk and bison in their grazing.
5: They're not concentrating in those riparian areas. They're spreading their impacts across a, a variety of habitats. They're wide-ranging They, you know, they use steep country. They don't avoid steep country the way cattle do.
1: Regardless, the BLM's environmental assessment says adjusting livestock use in the herd management area was outside the scope of their analysis. Ecologist Malone traveled to the herd management area earlier this month and walked around in areas where horses tend to congregate. She wrote a report that says most of the lowland areas near water sources are severely damaged because of cattle, and that upland habitats provide enough forage to support the wild horses. And
3: in my ecological perspective, it's the horses uh, are not the problem. It's the cattle and the sheep that are severely damaging the landscape.
1: Malone's report also disputes other claims from the BLM. BLM assessments of the horses this spring showed they ranged from, quote, very thin to moderately fleshy, and about 90 percent of horses ranked somewhere in between. But Malone said the wild horses she saw and photographed were, quote, vigorous and reproductively successful. Photos of the horses from the BLM and Malone paint very different pictures of the health of the herd. So I'm looking at photos from the BLM, and I'm seeing some horses with pretty pronounced shoulders and neck bones, lots of visible rib cages. And in Malone's photos, the horses look pretty healthy, lots of round bellies and happy-looking foals. Governor Jared Polis also decided to weigh in earlier this spring. Governor Polis wrote letters in May and July asking the BLM to pause drive traps and consider the challenges that a midsummer gather could cause. But since the BLM is a federal agency, Governor Polis can only make requests and suggestions. Here's the BLM's maestas.
3: So we appreciate the government, governor's
1: involvement. We uh, know that the BLM leadership is in uh, frequent communication with the governor's office on ways to uh, improve wild horse management in Colorado. So the reasons for this gather operation remain disputed. Mulvar says when the facts on the ground are contested, it's difficult to have informed debates.
5: And it should be clear what's happening. I mean, there should be consensus. There should be broad agreement that, yeah, everybody can agree that, you know, these horses are in bad condition or the range is in bad condition or that the range condition problems are due to wild horses or they're due to cattle. But it seems like it's really difficult to drive that kind of consensus.
1: So while the rangeland conditions and the health of the wild horses are disputed, they're Date has already been determined. Gather operations are ongoing, and as of Wednesday morning, roughly 400 wild horses were gathered, and over 300 of them have been shipped to a holding facility in Axtell, Utah, and about 100 are in a holding pen. Some will be sold or adopted, others will be boarded long-term, and some will be sterilized and released back onto the range. But the BLM says that rates of adoption and sales of wild horses have historically not kept up with the growth of their populations. So many of these horses will live out their lives in confined grazing areas. Hallie Zander, Aspen Public Radio News.
0: The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for showers and thunderstorms tonight, with mostly cloudy skies and a low in the mid-50s. Tuesday, showers and thunderstorms are likely, with a high near 70 degrees and a low around 55. Wednesday, there's a chance of showers and thunderstorms, with a high around 70 degrees and a low around 55. This has been the news for Monday, July 25th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries.
6: Hi everyone, this is Claire from Telluride Chamber Music. I just want to tell you about a fantastic weekend of concerts we have coming up on July 29th and 30th. For the first time ever, we have a quintet of musicians from the renowned New York Philharmonic coming to Telluride for an amazing weekend of music. The weekend will feature three different events which offer something for everybody. On the evening of Friday, July 29th, we're holding our first annual fundraising gala at the Telluride Historical Museum. The evening will include an exclusive concert, the chance to meet and chat with musicians of the New York Philharmonic, champagne and appetizers, and the auction of an original art piece by Bruce Gomez. All the proceeds will go to Telluride Chamber Music and to bringing more brilliant year-round concerts to the Box Canyon. Tickets can be purchased at Telluride Chamber Music. For families and kids of all ages, there will be a free concert and workshop of Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf on Saturday, July 30th, 2pm at the library. This is such a great piece where the story is narrated alongside the music and each instrument represents a different character. Kids of all ages are welcome and encouraged to dress up as the animals or even bring their favourite soft toy. As I mentioned, this is a free event and snacks will also be provided. To round off the weekend, the Quintet will be performing a concert at the Sheridan Opera House on Saturday, July 30th at 7.30pm. The programme is a wonderful mix of music for Wing Quintet and features composers such as Ravel, Nielsen and a really fun South American piece by Julio Medalla. Tickets are between thirty and forty five dollars for adults and twenty to thirty dollars for students and can be purchased from the Sheridan Opera House website sheridanoperahouse.com. For more information on any of these events, please visit our website telluridechambermusic.org. We can't wait to see you there.
7: Join us this week on both Wednesday and Thursday nights as another spectacular sunset will light up the music and the Wilson Range as the sounds fill the air in Sunset Plaza in Mountain Village. The Sunset Music Series in its 22nd season is one of the region's great summer traditions. On Wednesday, July 27th, Magnolia Boulevard hits the Sunset Stage.
1: You can put
3: me in your pocket
7: featuring a sound experience that flows easily and seamlessly from a multitude of stylistic tributaries. There's plenty of blues, soul, and rock and roll in the mix, and it's all fueled by the rhythm section's elastic grooves, topped by Maggie Noel's soul-stirring powerhouse vocals. Then on Thursday, July 28th, Fleetwood Mac Tribute takes the stage, and that brings the songs of Fleetwood Mac up to the Mountain Village. Attendance is free of charge. Dine-in and to-go meals are available for purchase from many Mountain Village restaurants. Alcoholic beverages purchased from Mountain Village Restaurant can also be enjoyed in the new and expanded Common Consumption Area. The music begins at 6 p.m. on the lawn near Lift One in the Sunset Plaza of Mountain Village and it's held Rain or Shine. Presented by the Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association and supporting sponsors. Check the full lineup at sunsetmusicseries.com and connect with the Sunset Music Series on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you up there.